In this episode, I have special guest Andrew Shakovsky, and we talk about his experience and teachings as a Christian mystic, his path towards spirituality, which included an initial negative impression of Christianity, the grand spiritual buffet that he has tried in his life, the desire for love and truth, the challenges with being human and a priest, how to manifest and create your reality with respect towards the global reality, and what is God, Christ consciousness, and consciousness itself. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Embody Podcast, a show about remembering and embodying your true nature, inner wisdom, embodied healing, and self-love. My name is Candace Wu, and I'm a holistic healing facilitator, intuitive coach, and artist sharing my personal journey of vulnerability, offering meditations and guided healing support, and having co-creative conversations with healers and wellness practitioners from all over the world. A quick shout out to any of my clients listening and all of my clients out there. I love working with all of you. I facilitate holistic healing, spirituality, and a deeper knowing of the self. I offer experiential tools that support body wisdom for completing trauma and negative beliefs, spiritual crises, self-love, and understanding the self while feeling deeply at ease and at home in the simplicity of being human, being yourself. It's a little bit different than having a talk therapy session because it engages the whole body, the energy, past life, also ancestry, if those are interesting for you. So for people that want to feel more, not less, and experience the depths and truth of themselves, or if you want to shift beliefs and what's held in your body, anything that keeps you stuck or feeling negatively about yourself, shifting that towards joy and aliveness and a greater freedom. Sometimes the journey of healing and wholeness can start with attention or disease or illness in the body, a pain. Or it can start with a feeling that there's something deeper that you desire in your life, something that you want for yourself, or that you truly want to love yourself and trust your intuition and body. My work is one-on-one as well as with couples and with those in relationships that are polyamorous or open. I also hold retreats that are on location as well as a monthly group healing call that is all embodied work as well. If you're interested, intrigued, or you have questions or somewhere you feel called to it, feel free to reach out to me to set up a 20-minute free consultation. There's absolutely no pressure to continue on. It's a time for us to explore what you desire, what your next steps are, and I love supporting people in getting clear with that, seeing if it's a right fit to work together, or passing along any referrals that will really support them in their next step of their journey. You can find out more about me and set up a consultation at CandiceWu.com. Hello and welcome back, everyone. It's great to have you here. Right now, I am in Ireland and I've been working with horses here. I'll talk more about that next week in the podcast. And today, I want to just jump right into connecting with Andrew. Andrew Shakovsky is a friend and a colleague. He had a center in Chicago called Meditate Yoga and Meditation Center. And I taught yoga there for a couple of years. And since then, we've been friends. Like me, Andrew has traveled a bit since he released his ties with the studio and uh, branched out. And now he's in Charleston. 
Andrew is a priest and teacher of Christian mysticism, and he began his mystical path in 2004 while living in San Francisco. One thing I've really appreciated about Andrew is his ability to connect with people in such a genuine, grounded, real, and authentic way that really has opened up so much connection and the ability to talk about real things in life that are going on without sugarcoating them or pretending things are just fine. So I'm excited to bring you this conversation today. And without further ado, here is Andrew. I'm quite curious about how our conversation is going to go today, Andrew. I'm <laughs> I'm just delighted to welcome you. Yeah, you are a priest, a teacher, um, and and I've really enjoyed some of what you offer to the community. I met you in Chicago, and uh, you had Meditate Yoga and Meditation Center, and when I came to your visualization class, I felt like, yeah, this is powerful. And I remember you saying, you know, when you do this, it's quite powerful. And all the resistance comes up. And you got to work through that. So I think from the very beginning, I enjoyed what you brought. I would love for you to share with all the people listening today, who you are and your journey in getting to where you are today. Okay, yeah, sounds great. Uh, of course, you know, thanks for uh, thinking of me and inviting me for today's chat. I have been really driven towards knowing true spiritual truth. Uh, later on, it became a quest for love. Initially, I would say I was interested in spiritual experiences that were, you know, really about the truth because I had a feeling even when I was back in high school like I don't think this is how the world's supposed to be. I don't feel like we're being true. Um, and in some cases mm. I didn't feel like we were being honest, you know, it was like, is that people seem to have other agendas here that they're not owning. And yeah, way back, even in high school, that was really angering to me. And so I think that has fueled a lot of my quest. It's like, I want to know what's actually going on. And through that journey in my probably twenties, mostly, you know, I was distracted because I wanted to be a musician or I was a musician and playing in bands. And I was never a huge partier, but you know, I was typical 20 year old guy. And, but as I started to get older, this quest for truth and eventually for like some true love connection really became very prominent in my consciousness. And in 2000 and what year was it? 2004. So leading up to all that, I did all sorts of unspiritual things. I mean, I practiced out of body experiences and lucid dreaming and I would I was meditating throughout all that. I would do long-term fasts, trying to induce other states of consciousness so I could penetrate into the spiritual world. And I would, you know, pursue the I Ching for a while. So we'd throw the coins and get all the wisdom. And, mm. you know, there's so many different kind of spiritual, I used to call it the, the grand spiritual buffet. It's like, well, let me try <laughs> this and let me try that. Let me get crystals and work with crystals. And let me try, you know, I don't know. I can't remember all this stuff now, but, the good thing was that meditation was always central because pretty much all the spiritual teachers would say meditation is the foundation for having these deeper experiences. Mm -hmm. And then in 2004, I had made a strong intent. I wouldn't quite call it a prayer. Now, as you said, I'm a priest, so I, my language has changed differently. Sorry, my language has changed such that now I would say I made a strong prayer. 
because I was almost 40 years old and I had wandered around the planet to a certain degree and I hadn't found people who had the same drive that I did. And so I was kind of lonely in my quest for truth. And I thought, well, maybe I need to find a wife and just kind of live a more traditional life. And I think that the prayer that God ended up hearing was, you want love. You've always wanted love. So I found myself in this Christian mystical school or what they call a mystery school. It was operating in Oakland, California and very Christian. But what they were teaching was stuff I'd I'd read about. I'd never met people who were not only teaching it, but living it. So I became very enamored with that. I was very resistant to the Christian part. I'd never really wanted to be Christian. I had negative impressions of Christianity, Hmm. but I couldn't deny that the teachings and the energy of the place and the people was like, I just felt like these are my peeps. I just feel good with them. They were not weird. They were not proselytizing. They were not, you know, the language they used was kind of like when you and I talk. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was very kind of troubling in a way because part of me, you know, wanted to be that what I'd always been was this distant observer. I'd go to these spiritual things. I'd take it in. I wouldn't really interact a lot. Then I'd go home and try to apply it. And I lived in a very isolated way like that. But this group really kind of broke through that. And so I decided to, after a few months of going several times a week to classes and services, I decided to go, okay, well, what's next? And I kind of never stopped saying that, what's next? And so here we are, we're 14 and a half years later. In 2006, I was ordained a deacon, which was the first level of minister. The second ordination was, um, let's see, it was in May in 2013. So nine years after I had first met them, I was ordained a priest. And then subsequently five years later, which is this June, I was ordained a master teacher. And I mean, we could spend a lot of time talking about what those ordinations are, but from my perspective, you know, an ordination into the priesthood is a life-altering experience. It's not about theology and, you know, passing the academia of, of the, um, what do you call those schools where you go, um, what's, oh, the seminary. It's not really like that. Yeah, it's a whole shift in consciousness. It's a, I mean, in the lineage of the mystic, you're only ordained a priest after you've been tested in your, your true desire to love humans, love God, love yourself, and be consistent in that. And that was probably the hardest, quote-unquote, project that I ever took on. Wow. This is incredibly fascinating to hear, Andrew. I had no idea you'd moved through the grand spiritual buffet, as you said, <laughs> like to hear you oh, talk yeah. about crystals and yeah. um, out-of-body experiences and the eating and lucid dreaming. I, I just had no clue. And it, um, it gives a lot of dimensionality to what I already know about you. And yeah. it's so interesting that you also felt from the beginning some sort of resistance about Christianity. And I'm curious about that. What what was it about, or what, what what was your impression of Christianity, and what did you find here at this mystic school? Yeah, well, I think like most, you know, I don't know if I would call myself intellectual, I tended to do well in school, and I was, you know, probably on the more on the book end of things. Christianity just seemed, or at least the Christians that I met, there was a weird thing about them, you know, like they would say things like, well, have you taken Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And I'm like, I don't really know what that means. Well, you have to take him as your Lord and Savior to be saved. I'm like, saved from what? 
or just from <laughs> saved from your sins. Right. I mean, if you're not saved from your sins and you die in your sins, you're going to burn in hell forever. I'm like, I'm going to need more than that. You know? Right. That doesn't that quite register. Well, it was just, it felt fearful. It felt mm-hmm. kind of panicky. And also the worst thing was I didn't feel people listened to me. You know, they were just so, a lot of these folks were so consumed with their message that they didn't stop and go, who are you and where are you at and what have you done in your journey? You know, the, 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 when I found the mystical Christian school, that would, they were more focused on, okay, so, you know, what's up with you? Where have you been? What have you done? What, what do you think? And that to me was the essence of the love that I was missing. You know, somebody actually mm. caring enough about me to go, what's your journey been like? And then, then just listen to it and not go, okay, well, that's all wrong. Here's what you got to do. Take Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Like, there was nothing like that. So finally, I was able to go, well, these people actually care. Mm. And the, the other Christian folks, and not that they didn't care, but I mean, you, I'm sure, well, I, I'm going to ask you if you experience this. I mean, a high degree of conversations that I have involve me listening to people. And they, they're very caught up in, you know, I'm not saying that in a negative way, though it might sound that way, but people are, I find people very consumed with the, you know, the rhetoric in their minds about themselves and about their lives and about their situations. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of, you know, for a long time, I, I was like angry about that. It was like, I'll sit there and listen to somebody for 30 minutes almost without saying anything. And there was part of me was like, okay, I think it would make sense if you now would, you know, ask me maybe one thing. <laughs> Oh, right. Just to sort of, you know, flip it around a little, even if it's the, the last three minutes before we hang up. And I was very angry about that. You know, I was like, what's with people? Why don't they care? And why don't they listen? Mm-hmm. Um, can you relate to what I'm saying with that, Candace? Because you're a very good listener and I, I've always felt that about you. But I wonder if you've had that same thing. You know, actually, I have. I, I've been trained, as you know, in clinical psychology and um but way before that i was quite a good listener and i think a lot of that listening skill came from my desire to please people and to accommodate others and growing up sort of as this wounded healer in myself yeah. um and so coming to the point of practicing in a more professional way as a therapist and also before that as a teacher I, I did find that quite a bit that it would drain me to just hear people being absorbed in their lives. And I I am that way sometimes. But the thing that the thing that I found for myself is that um and this is why I practice the way I do now, is that the experiencing through what's going on and what they're talking about and having a process around what they're going through, like having a process through the emotions of what they're experiencing and the belief sets that actually transform something. And so I, if someone wants me to sit for 30 minutes and only listen, it is challenging for me mm-hmm. because I, I'm interested in supporting them in transforming something internally and externally. So I, I do relate to that a lot where it um, can be challenging to sit and listen even though I, I do want to hear from someone and where, where they're at in their journey. But there has to be, at least the best fit for me, is that there's a desire from that person to have a deeper awareness or create something else with that conversation. 
Yeah, I mean, I I totally get it, and I I, I mean, things have changed for me because I you know I was sort of midway through the the point, which was that used to really irritate me and anger me. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting what you you referred to yourself. I don't know, I think you were referring to yourself as a wounded healer who wanted to please people. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I had my own version of that. I actually didn't really have. I don't think I am that much of a people pleaser. I mean, I, I do want to be useful and and being a priest, it's a commitment to be in service to humanity, to God. Um, but I, I've worked with many people who have what I would call that more that people pleaser kind of thing. So I think I understand it a little bit better, not quite as good as if I had it myself. You know, the thing that kind of motivated me is I do find it incredibly interesting hearing people's stories. It's just like, I sit there with my mouth sort of half open going like, wow, that's, Stuff that other people go like, it's not that interesting. I'm like, no, that's super fascinating. <laughs> and I, I long for somebody to be that fascinated with my life too. I thought that that's what people were. It's like, aren't you mm. like dying to know about me? <laughs> yeah. But um, no, it turns out that 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 most people aren't. And I, I mean, I'm a little <laughs> exaggerating with the, you know, the, the great joke is, well, well, enough about me. What do you think about me? Right. So, <laughs> I, I um. Since I've become a priest and I don't know, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to talk about some of these shifts because the last thing any of us, when I say us, like people who are on this journey of consciousness ever want to do is, is promote ourselves as, you know, further ahead than other people. I mean, that's, that's an uncomfortable place for me, mm-hmm. but I have to sort of also be true to myself. And as a result of the 14 years, 14 and a half years that I've been on this Christian mystical path my awareness and consciousness of love, life, God, people, it has changed dramatically. And some of the beautiful aspects of that is I'm no longer angry the way I was, you know, about the fact that I can sit in conversations and people have very little interest in, you know, what I'm doing and stuff. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that it, it doesn't create some kind of response. I mean, I, it can be sad to me to sit and talk and be really interested in somebody and then, you know, recognize that, they're on, they're on to the next thing. And they, it never even crossed their mind to go, oh, well, I've been talking for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. What's going on with you? I mean, I think that has something to do with the state of consciousness on the planet. And so my task has been to reach a place of acceptance with that and not, you know, seek to alter it through. And because as an Aries, I can be a little blunt and sometimes a little direct in ways that, you know, jar people. And I've had to learn how to temper that form of communication. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that too. Yeah. I mean, that's probably why you and I chat so easily because I don't feel like I have to be that conscious because you're an Aries too, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah. I remember right in the beginning meeting you, you just right away ask about where I'm at and my journey. And mm-hmm. that just felt so real and comfortable and uncomfortable mm-hmm. in some ways, you know, because I'm getting <laughs> vulnerable and sharing. And at that time, I barely knew you, but... Yeah. The way that you ask so directly was helpful. Um, well, I appreciate that feedback. I don't, I can't say I remember the exact conversation. Maybe, you know, I remember meeting you and just having this sense of kind of ease about it. Um, you know, just remember you sitting in the, the class that you came to and just this sort of energy of enthusiasm and like you were present and you were into it, which when I sit at the front of the class and I teach, it's very evident people that are not into it. And it's, I mean, I definitely you know, mm-hmm. feelings about that. I try to, I'm sure you can relate when you're teaching people and some are totally into it and others are like half falling asleep or they look like they're just distracted. It's kind of, you know, you have an, I have an emotional response to it. 
Mm-hmm. So I remember that. But, you know, the thing is, I this is probably a, a filter that I don't necessarily have all that developed, which is I think we want that vulnerable connection as quickly as possible. So I'm just like assuming, hey, what's going on with you? Like, tell me everything. I'm happy to share what's going on with me also. Um, but that's not, I don't think that's that realistic. I've sort of had to adjust to the fact that that might be, I don't know, a little disconcerting for people. Yeah, and I think that relates to as you referenced earlier, the consciousness of the world right now. And when you speak about consciousness, what what do you mean? Well, I think it's, I mean, for myself, I'm interested in knowing truth at the highest level that I'm capable. And so on, on one level, probably the most easiest way that people probably can relate to is the energy of one's intent. You know, I think that in, I mean, I live in the South now, right? I live in Charleston, South Carolina. So there's an element the way that people relate in the South, and you, you'll often hear about this reference to the hospitality of the South or the politeness or something. Mm-hmm. And there's an element to it which I think there's a nice element to it because there is an element about it that's that's about caring. But there's another element to it that's not authentic. It's not actually how the person is. It's a It's a kind of a veneer of how we're supposed to be that is a little too much for me. Mm-hmm. It's uh, and it's uncomfortable because because I feel it is inauthentic because I feel like the way that somebody is acting, the level of politeness or the level of I don't know the way that people are phrasing things, it's because it feels inauthentic. It makes me uncomfortable. Um. So and I'm conscious of that. Whereas certain people are just oh you know that's just how we are or they're they've people have kind of I don't know like part of their identity is wrapped up in being a way that's not authentic to themselves and there's there's no real reason to question it. I find people so fascinating when they're their most authentic. Now, okay, we all have some rough edges, right? So in, in this understanding of consciousness, to experience a person with their, you know, their beautiful, their, their virtues of love, their, their divine soul self, that's freaking cool. That's where I, my mouth hangs open. Like, wow, that's so cool. You think that way. Like you see things that way. Like I had never thought to, see it that way or perceive it that way okay that part is like super cool and then there's the other side which is the parts of us that are wounded or angry or we have bad habits or we've developed connection to to truths that are not actually true and i think as your consciousness opens or 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 let's see approaches this what they call christ consciousness christ consciousness meaning the direct perception of reality as it is you know, without any embellishments of my own emotional interpretation. And I do believe that exists. A lot of people will say, well, no, reality is always going to be relative. But I find comfort in knowing that there is God's truth. There is an an absolute truth. And it's love. And understanding what that is, you know, is it takes a lot of meditation and a lot of trial and error and a lot of teaching. But I'm interested in living in that bubble all the time. And so when, when I sense that people are, are, are living in ways that are protective because they're nervous, so that's outside of that bubble of love, you know, if it's driven by fear. Mm-hmm. Also, when people are tr- truly in the love vibe, you know, we're going to speak truth. And learning how to speak truth in a way that's not, you know, um, upsetting to people, that's a whole skill as well. I mean, you can't, somebody, unless somebody says something, you can't just go like, well, that's not true. What you just said is a fabrication. Like people, that's very jarring to people and you wouldn't mm-hmm. want to approach it that way. 
this has been a huge challenge for me as a, we talked about like Aries and, and having this desire to connect or communicate directly is that there's a certain tactfulness that I've had to learn from people who are better at it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, the risk of going on and on. I mean, let me ask you this. So you must experience, well, you experience consciousness as, well, let's see, how do I want to phrase it? Do you recognize you know, the discrepancy between the intent of people and what they're actually saying and doing? I do. I, I, this is one of the biggest things that I'm learning to sharpen in myself right now mm-hmm. is to feel into what the sense of something is behind the actions or words that someone's saying or how they're being uh, on the surface level, but to feel into the intent behind it to help me make my own decisions in life or just to sense where someone's at. And I've often found myself uh, confused by the literal things that are happening on the the surface level, on the physical Mm -hmm. level. And that led me to feeling that interest of, well, what's going on behind it? And it is uh, one of the main parts of my work with people is who are you who are you behind this and where are you coming from and what state of being are you coming from and where do you want to so everything you're saying feels so resonant to me and you described Christ consciousness as a direct perception of reality as it is and i've never heard it described that way can you elaborate on Christ consciousness in general and I'll just start mm-hmm. off with my first feeling of it. The first time I heard that, there was a feeling of expansion and openness behind the energy of it because I didn't know what it meant. And I also did have a bunch of perceptions of Christianity from my experiences growing up all the way to adulthood. But I was able to somehow let go of the words and feel into the energy of it. And that energy has helped me in a lot of healing situations or times where I've heard someone say it. It just has given me something. So I'm curious to hear more about it. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the word Christ can be interchanged with God and can be interchanged with love. And what I really, probably one of the biggest messages I want to put out there to people is that because somebody is Christian, does not necessarily mean they represent Christ. I think one of the hardest things somebody can do is strive to reach this consciousness, this potential consciousness of the Christ consciousness. And I think we, we can touch into it for an hour, a minute, a day, a week, and then we can slip back out. It's not, you're not guaranteed to be, once you reach it, it's permanent. The idea is that somewhere within every soul, human soul, there exists a place of perfection, a spark or a a cell of God that every one of us has been given. In the Christian tradition, in the Christian mystical tradition, we call that the Christ. So that within myself exists the Christ. It's different than my soul. My soul is the unique expression of who I am based on lifetimes of different experiences. And every one of us has had different experiences, so our souls are different. But the Christ in all of us is the same. It is the pure cell of God. And one of the cool teachings is that 
you know, the Christ is the masculine and the soul is the feminine. And this has nothing to do with whether you're a man or a woman. Whether you're a man or a woman, your soul is the feminine component to the masculine Christ or the masculine God self. And so we're striving to have this marriage of the two and then to express ourselves as this unique soul who I am, connected, guided, in love with the Christ within. And there's a great passage in when Mother Mary is pregnant with uh, you know, the Messiah, and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And every time I hear it, it just makes me want to weep. It's so beautiful. It's that the Christ in me is this place of light, and it's being broadcast through my soul. So people experience me, hopefully, as somebody who's broadcasting the presence of truth and love through the unique ways that I see things, the way I say things, the way I perceive the way that I interact with people. I mean, that's my goal is to, is to be as, as transparent on that particular relationship, the Christ in me married to the soul in me and me living from that. The Christ consciousness is the awareness of that, the awareness of the presence of the Christ as an experiential thing. I mean, many people will talk about Christ consciousness and we don't know if they have touched into it. And that may sound arrogant, I don't know. It's just that to me, if I'm in the presence of somebody who knows it because I've been engaged in it for the last, I mean, I was brought into this initiation of it uh, in 2008. So over those 10 years, my awareness of it has matured, at least whatever 10 years gets you. I mean, it's not that long, but when you're in the presence of somebody who is who is in that vicinity, it's very evident. It's evident in their energy. Now, somebody could have a bad day and they're feeling depressed or feeling angry and they've kind of flipped a little bit. But to me, like when, when you're in the presence of somebody who, is, who has done that work, who strives to know that truth and love, and there are some people who do it, they don't call it Christ consciousness. It doesn't really have to be called that. That's a term that I, I like the sound of it. I like the alliteration of it. I like the, the powerful sound of it. But I've been in the presence of, of Buddhist people who have that love and you just, you're with them and there's not a lot to say. It's just like, hey man, we're there and it's just, you know, you're my brother and you look a little different, but have a hug. And I mean, I have felt that and it's very touching to me. And it's like, those are the people I want to hang out with because it's easy. You know, the, the agenda is clean for the most part. Enough about Christ. What do you think about Christ? <laughs> <laughs> I'm marveling at how uh similar our ideas are about mm -hmm. spirituality truth and and the energy of love and truth i usually don't use the words god or christ consciousness i think from what you're saying it sounds like the word i use is spirit mm -hmm. or energy like the source energy um i don't mind the word god or christ consciousness when it comes from that place and i right. think it's been confused for me you know i just didn't i didn't exactly know where you were coming from and so it's marvelous to hear this now because i feel that we're coming from a, a very similar place with it all and mm -hmm. the soul being the part, the the unique, individualized presence of us that love or God or spirit comes through. 
but that mm-hmm. spirit is the same in everyone or in yoga and ayurveda it's self or atman which is god which is self with a big s not a small right. small s is how they differentiate it and that self is the same self of everything that exists in in the creative energy of the source so everything you're saying is just like oh yeah right that's yeah <laughs> another language set but it it gets us to the same feels like the same experience maybe there are differences um but that's where i'm landing at the moment yeah well the self capital s we use that term also in the in the christian mystical teachings we talk about self realization to to realize to make real the self you know it's it's one thing to talk about it to read about it to have heard about it it's a whole other realm when you actually do the work to come into the experience of it and then have that experience validated by somebody who you know has it and that's something that that can tweak some people because I mean, people have been very wounded by the authority of their parents, of their teachers. And so to give somebody authority to say, yes, your spiritual experience is valid and real, that's hugely scary for a lot of people. And I understand that because I had a, you know, my dad was quite authoritative and not a good way. And, but a teacher, a real teacher who has the intent to bring a soul through the journey into self-realization that is an individual that begins and puts a lot of energy into developing trust. Mm-hmm. Spends a lot of time with the awareness that, you know, a lot of these really, really wounded souls are the ones who want God more than anything because we're looking for some hope that life is, you know, better than it had been. And so we really want to get there. But I mean, if I could tell you how many people are sort of drawn to classes I've given and then, you know, you can feel in that energy when they're there that they're just really nervous and they're protective. There's a level of anger in there. There's a level of heartbrokenness in terms of how many times they felt misled, how many times they, some people have, you know, said, well, I'm here to help you, but really it's about the money or it's about sexual prowess. I mean, it's really tragic actually. And I mean, that's something that for me, I'm really, really adamant about offering as, as clean of a presence as I can. And so that puts a tremendous amount of scrutiny back on myself to make sure every nuance of mind that is still, you know, potentially uh, not transformed has to be examined pretty much on a daily basis. Not Mm -hmm. like, you know, all day I look at myself and try to fix myself, but, you know, when I have emotions and when I, when my motivation, you know, gets tempted to go in the wrong direction, I have to catch it immediately. And I like that. I like that kind of level of accountability because... I don't know. I have this sense that this is what God wants me to do. And I want to get to the end of my life and just, and just feel like, or turn to God or Jesus or whoever greets me on the other side and go, did I do okay? And they're like, yeah, you did okay. You know, I mean, I would be happy with that. They don't have to be balloons and confetti, but just, you know, (laughs) you did a nice job. We saw you trying to do the right thing and yeah, you slipped here and there, but we were watching you. We were watching you. We love you. You know? Yeah. So, Yeah. Well, what is your idea of the other side? Well, I always preface it by going, I'm, so, I'm, you know, I have certain kind of ideas based on past lives, but I don't have, I don't have direct experience to say I know for sure this or that happens. So, 
but the things that I've heard and the things that I've intuited through my own meditation make sense to me. The first is it's not necessary to think a lot about it because, you know, it's more important to learn how to integrate soul and self and be on the earth and be a positive, you know, contributor. So when I was younger and these out of body experiences and all this stuff that I was pursuing, I was really enamored with trying to experience the spiritual world. And then at some point I went like, well, actually I probably should just learn how to live on the material plane because that's where I am basically. Mm -hmm. So my focus is much more about that. Now, I think that at the time of death, the soul and the self tra uh, travel or, or, or enter into a different realm, a non-material realm. I think initially we look like we do on earth because there's a sense that it's less jarring. And sort of like you, you, you're, you probably go like, whoa, where am I? And then you look around and go, okay, well, I got a body. So I probably, you know, I think it's a, a way that, that the whole system allows us to transition over there without it being too dramatic. I believe that we would be welcomed by loving beings to kind of explain to us, you know, what's happened. The fact that we no longer, you know, our life on the earth is not happening. We died, we were killed, whatever, something has ended and we're now on the other side. And I think in time, and I don't know how long this takes, I think when people adjust to where they're at, there would be some kind of a, a loving review process, process by which we examine, okay, how do you feel your life went? You know, where are the areas that you felt you grew? What did you do? How did you help out? Where were you selfish? Where were you angry? And the idea is that in that spiritual realm, it's sort of a, a period to get ready for the next incarnation. Unless, and this is, a, I think, a huge debating point. I mean, how many people I've met, spiritual people who go like, yeah, this is my last life. I'm not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you say that? Okay. <laughs> I have some friends that say that and I'm like, well, how do you, how do you know that? And do you, you don't want to come back? Right. Like, it's just an interesting uh, thing to hear from someone. And I get, I always get curious about what their idea of that is. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, it makes sense. I mean, the, the more that you, the more that you develop spiritually, I mean, I think the earth becomes a harder place to live in a lot of ways because I mean, I, I don't want to be a downer, but it's like, there's, it's just, I find it difficult because of the discrepancies between the true intent and the, you know, the, the sort of the, the way that people relate and also just the degree to which people are interested in this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it makes sense to me when the really sensitive person who loves God and loves people and loves the earth goes, yeah, I'm not coming back because I think they're looking for some sense of security that I don't have to. Please don't make me go back to that place. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. No, I get that. Yeah. It is a hard place to be. <laughs> But at the same time, I agree. Let's lay it out there. I mean, you know, just watching what we do to the what we do to the planet. Mm -hmm. If you love the planet, I mean, it's just you know, it's just sad. And then you have a president that's coming in and sort of almost reversing all these pro all the progress that that groups have worked for decades to try to protect the environment is now going like, well, it doesn't matter. We want oil and we want uh, coal. I mean, it's just God. It's just heartbreaking. It's excruciating. Okay, so I think that. Like you, I don't know if, um, I mean, what I was taught was that as a priest, I have taken a vow to come back into physical incarnations for as long as is needed that souls, that there, there are souls on earth who are striving for, you know, the kind of path that I was given, that it is my duty 
and my responsibility to incarnate, go through the process once again of self-realization in the next body, and then be of use. As a, as a priest, I mean, I remember I had a psychic reading when I was in my 20s, and a woman said, oh, you've been a priest in another life. Now, back then, my idea of a priest was different than it is now, but something in me went, oh, that's kind of cool. Mm. I felt good about mm-hmm. it. You know, it wasn't till almost 30 years later that I became a priest or 25 years later to, to actually go, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I would say with quite a bit of certainty that this vow of service has been on my soul for a while. Um, and so with having taken the vow in this life, I'm accepting like, well, I'll come back as long as I must. And then even if I don't have to and they say, well, do you want to come back? I may come back just because you know, if I'm, if I've developed enough to go like, yeah, it's a bit irritating, but if I can help a few people, I mean, that really does the most joy for me is being able to do things that are meaningful to other people. I wouldn't, I was not like that when I was younger in my twenties and stuff. I did not have that mentality. So that transformation has been as a result of coming into the presence of Christ and going, life is about being of service to others. And in so doing your life will be blessed. And people go like, well, people are just going to take all your energy and all your money and all your, you know, like, how can that be joyful? You're like, well, you got to experience it. Mm. I mean, they don't take all your money. You know, they take a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Not all of it. (laughs) I mean, actually, that's not even true because I have more money now than I've ever had, you know, and and, uh, I don't even have a job. So how does that work out? (laughs) I mean, my point is by being flippant about it is like, yeah, God has really rewarded me, I think or graced me, whatever language, because I'm all in and I'm trying, I'm sort of like trying to be, you know, there's a, there's a passage in the Bible that talks about John the Baptist as the voice in the wilderness crying out, make straight the way for the, make straight the ways of the Lord. In other words, go like straighten up, like let's rein in those places where we fade away because we're depressed and we're disappointed, we're angry and, you know, rein in those tendencies to be selfish and kind of lustful and go like, well, everybody else is doing it. So I'm going to get my chunk. Like, Let's make it straight, nice, clean connection between me and God. And, you know, let's, let's see how that looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like that. I'm, I'm kind of at these courses or what I teach or classes going like, oh man, this is so cool. If you do this, you know, okay, it's, it might take a few years. I, I wish I could say it's 30 days, but it's not. And, but you're going to, this is going to happen. And then you're going to have this change. And then, you know, if you stay with it, you'll be brought through this initiation. And that's a whole shift in consciousness. And yeah, initially that brings up some darkness because, Hey, you take on more light, you're going to see more darkness, but that'll fade away if you, you know, it's like knowing the process and then conveying it as, as, as articulate as I can. And then, you know, feeling a lot of people going like, Hey, sounds great. Sounds like it worked out for you. And, you know, maybe we'll see you next week, but you know, I, I probably have to clean my yard or something. Oh, right. Are you, are you saying like it, it can be a lot for people or? Well, I think it can be a lot for people. And also, I think that for some people, it's like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think this is right. it. They're like, what you're saying sounds like it works for you, but, and I'm used to that. Um, you know, you, you, it's not, it's, I don't feel it's my obligation to like coerce people into a spiritual path, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be painful and frustrating to be sitting with somebody who's got a particular challenge and you're going like oh, part inside of myself i'm going like oh man this could be alleviated through this process um but you know we we can only sort of be i don't know we can help out as we can and that's part of this journey is letting people 
as souls have the free will to to do do whatever path they want. Yeah, I can relate to that too. And I think it's a really powerful place to be to have gone through your own journey and and to have come to a place of love where it's it's got enough clarity that it's not about your own agenda to support someone, but about mm-hmm. yeah. what you can offer. And that's it's wonderful that you're doing that. So where are you on your journey? And I'm in a kind of a difficult spot, I'll be honest with you. I mean, as a result of being ordained this summer into, you know, this level known as master teacher, I mean, my sensitivity right now is higher than it's ever been to, you know, the realities of what's going on, my, you know, around in social situations on the planet. I mean, I can't even I really can't even listen to even NPR, any news, I can't listen to it. It's just, it has such a negative effect on me. And um, I think that there's an integration period. You know, once, when in, on this path, when you're ordained, it's, it's a dramatic shift in consciousness that reveals itself sometimes over weeks or over months. And, um, you know, some people have a, a more refined skill when it comes to interpersonal relationships. That has not been my specialty. In other words, when there's a discrepancy between somebody's intent, uh, I mean, like, for example, you, I'm sure you're familiar as a psychologist or, or somebody in that realm with passive-aggressive expressions of anger. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I deal with daily in a way that's very difficult for me because it's not kind to bring it up if somebody is doing that, if somebody may not have the spiritual sight to see it, and yet to be the recipient of it, is really difficult. It really has a bad effect on me. And I mean, with my with the shift in my sensitivity as a result of this ordination, it's like magnified. Mm. And um, so I am learning how to, I mean, and then my challenge, because I've signed on to be a priest and a teacher, is to love people regardless of what kind of energy they throw my way. That doesn't necessarily mean I got to hang out with them and, and be a punching bag. But it does mean that I, I'm not allowed it's not, I don't allow myself the choice to write somebody off because of that. You know, I mean, yeah, they may not be in my life day to day, but if I'm aware that there's something in me that's closed my heart to them, that's not acceptable. I'm really not allowed to. I, I put that standard on myself because that's how I was taught. And that is, um, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's brutal. It's brutal to face that kind of challenge when, you know, there's no apology forthcoming. There's no awareness of it. And also, it's lonely in that sense. I mean, I don't, I don't want to come on your show and make a, you know, a soapbox plea for, but it's like, I'm just being straight mm-hmm. up with you as far as, um, I love the fact that, that I was able, that somebody saw the, 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 the um, receptivity to the teachings and worked with me and prepared me for ordination and had the faith that I would be true to the ordination. That I'm totally grateful for. And if, you know, if we had more time, I'd tell you how difficult that journey was working with teachers, coming upon teachers that were a little bit off and, and being misled and stuff. I had that all as part of this journey. And yet I had no other choice in terms of, well, this is what I got to do. I just know it's right for me. But I'm in a period now, this is like six months since my ordination, that uh, not quite six months. Um, I would say it's it's very difficult. And uh, I, mean, I accept it. I, I, I see it changing over time as I soften, relax, learn a higher level of compassion and acceptance. But um, yeah, this is a challenging phase for me. Thank you for sharing that. That sounds really hard. When you said you've made that choice and commitment to 
keep your heart open, not close your heart off to someone, even if you're experiencing that passive aggressiveness coming towards you, how does that work out? What do you, what does it look like to stay in that engaged connection? Well, it's really simple. I mean, I appreciate the question because, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that I'd love to talk about, you know, that somebody would actually be curious. It's a very, you know, on one level, it's a very subtle experience because when I'm sitting and counseling people and I can sense that the energy, you know, they're going like, well, you know, they, they really badly hurt me or they wounded me, but it's fine. You know, I've forgiven them. I moved on. But the energy is not yet really forgiveness. You know, there's a sense that as long as I don't see them, as long as I don't hear their name, as long as I don't hear about what they're doing, it's fine. But bring that person into the room and all of a sudden, you know, it's like the dander is going to go up because there's still a sense of unresolved angst or anguish or there's a tightness uh, about what happened in the past. If I sense that there's something about that in me towards another person because of, you know, some element about the relationship, I have to resolve it. I have to sit in meditation and I have to feel myself tempted to want to, you know, say to myself, well, once this person's out of my life, it's fine, it's done with, I won't have to think about it. And I go, okay, that's not an acceptable solution. I have to sit here in meditation and I have to reach a place where internally I do not go down that path. I go, I have to get to a place where there is no guile in me towards this person. There's no desire to get away from them. It doesn't mean I have to, as I said, it doesn't mean I have to hang out with them or have a relationship, but the connection, if I was to see them, I would be able to hug them and it would be, and I, here's a, here's a place where I actually was able to accomplish this. And it was, I think, a monumental feat it was that my dad, who, you know, was responsible for sexually molesting me, uh, and I did confront him with it a number of years ago and he never admitted anything. And I went on a long journey with the teachers that I had to reach a place of understanding, acceptance, and forgiveness of all that, what I went through so that I was able to have a relationship with my dad in the present that had no spite on my end, no need for me to get him to validate anything, no, no hidden desire to watch him suffer for anything. And it took months, actually. It took months of sitting in meditation, reaching that place, and then just becoming furious, pounding the pillows on the couch and going, that's all I can do today. Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's maddening. Maddening when you think about another an adult human being taking advantage of their child I mean, it's sick, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. we know that element of society is sick. To be the recipient of it and realize over your adult life, as, as I have been, how difficult it is to recover from that. Like when your sexuality gets all, you know, rewired because of somebody else's selfishness and lust at an early age, it's really hard to get back to neutral. I mean, we sort of get back to a place where we function, but we don't have the same clean parts that you get out of the factory, right? Mm -hmm. What I mean is your, your, your internal neurology is not the same. So somebody could be angry about that for their whole life and Absolutely. just go, yeah, my whole life was ruined because of what, you know, you know, if you, if you counsel people. Right. So how do you get to a place where you accept that? It's like somebody walks in and, you know, cuts off your leg and you, you're supposed to go, okay, well, I got to get to a place where I have no guile towards that person that's permanently crippled me. It is possible. It's possible to get there, but I don't think it's possible without a connection to Christ, to God, to love. That has to open my sight to be able to stay in that vibration, that energy, that attitude, and be truthful about it. And I've done that work, and I know how hard it is. And some days I just have to go, I'll pick it up tomorrow. I can't, I can't finish it right now because 
you know, like I was telling you in the beginning, when the first thing that I became aware of was like, I cannot stand hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. I'm way more easygoing when somebody says, yeah, I did that. And this was my intent. And I'm not even sorry about it. Okay. Well, Hey, at least you're being honest. I like the honesty. Right. When somebody is not being honest, oh my God, it's like maddening to me. And un, when I was younger, all I wanted to do was expose those lies and go, I'm going to show you what a liar you are. Okay, well, that's not helpful. But internally, how do you get to a place where even if they're being hypocritical and they know that they're lying and they know that they're doing all these things and then they deny them, how do you reach a place where there's no guile, there's no anger, there's no sense of justice not being you know, brought about? All I can tell you is that consciousness exists to get there. And it's just to what degree you, you are guided and you're driven to get there. But oh my God, how liberating. You know, there's a great passage in the gospel where Jesus talks about, you know, if you are angry at somebody, basically go and resolve it with them. And if you can't resolve it one-on-one, -on -one, bring somebody else with you and see if that person can mediate. And if they still can't resolve it, then bring the whole congregation. Wow. And if you still can't resolve it, at least, you know, forgive them before God. Mm. Because if you don't, he says, you know, you will be taken, you know, to the trial and the judge will, you know, condemn you and you will be in prison and the guard will take you to prison and you will remain in there until every penalty has been paid. Now people go, well, that sounds pretty harsh. What it means on the mystical is if, if you don't deal with your anger, you are going to be imprisoned by it. When you're angry at somebody, I mean, you, I mean I'm sure you can relate to this. If you're in a relationship and you're angry at your partner, it's like, it's hell. Because you can't just be yourself with them. There's, a, there's an energy of having to maintain that tension until they see it or they apologize or whatever. It's terrible. Absolutely. So getting to a place where you forget, yeah, sorry, I'm saying a lot of stuff, but let me finish this last point. Oh, yeah. When, when you get to a point where you forgive somebody who brutalized you and you truly reach that place of neutrality, that is a monstrous liberation of energy. And, you know, that's the thing that you can't explain to people and, or, or really communicate unless they go through it. And because I've been through it and I can explain that, people have a, they give me a little more credibility. They're like, mm. wow, you know, that's amazing. I don't think I could ever do that. I'm like, you could do it, but yeah, you're going to have to want to do it. Yeah, right. And it takes a lot of commitment to that and, and moving through the tough stuff to do it. Yeah, because it was wrong what was done. And, uh, you know, the person did lie or they didn't know. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons to go, no, why should I? Like, because you will be liberated if you do. And maybe like, well, maybe, maybe not, but I can't get involved in this. I mean, that's how some people think. And I get that too. I'm not, I'm not down on people for that. It's just like, again, if you feel like you're the person screaming, hey, the solution is this road less traveled. It'll really work if you stay in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what you're saying is that we're, we are the ones enslaved by that anger or that situation or that um, tension between us and whoever it is that we've had a situation with. And it's incredibly liberating to find the place where either you're able to be in connection with them with love or that you're walking away with respect, not with anger. It's such a difference. Like to be yeah. able, as you said, you don't have to hang out with them. But when you walk away from them, what kind of feeling is behind that um, has been one of my gauges as well for what's going on underneath things. And yeah. I think I'm very much like you. I, I don't think I would have said it in the same words as you of a commitment to keeping your heart open to other people, but that's exactly what 
what I do as well whenever I experience some situation that brings another part out in me. Even if I don't want to deal with it, it's like there's no ignoring it. And there's a deeper part of me that actually really does want to look at it and to know more about myself and to reach that freedom. And if I don't, I also know I'm just going to repeat it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Until I do. So right. <laughs> right. sometimes I just let myself, you know, do it again. But <laughs> right, might as well do it now if I can. Yeah. And yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's it's very real and uh, tangible what you're saying. Oh, good. Well, I think when you have that conscience, like what you're describing, if the conscience won't let you, you know, put it to rest, it's just like it's a development meant, it's, a, it's a developmental stage where we go like, if I ignore this, I know I'm ignoring it and I can't live with myself because I'm ignoring something that I know I should not be ignoring. And that's a pressure that, man, a lot of people want to get away from that. But mm-hmm. uh, I think if everybody responded to it, we all just kind of were a little bit more responsible to the pressure of our conscience. You know, the world wouldn't, it wouldn't take that long for things to transform. I think that goes back to truth. Like how, what's our relationship to truth? Yeah. How much do you value it? How much do you right. want it? Or how much are we afraid of it? Or Right. Well, that's true. I think that the reason that people are afraid of it because it's going to create pressure for things to change. Yeah. You know, and, and I love that, actually. I mean, I don't always love it. There's days where I, you know, I wish it could be a little lower. But <laughs> ultimately, you know, it's like in the beginning of the path, there, that pressure, well, first of all, it's liberating because it's like, oh my God, there's a way. There's a way to be liberated. So there's this great joy in the beginning of finding a path. And then there's the sort of the harder phase of like, oh my God, I have to stop doing this and I got to start doing this. And oh my God, I'm exhausted you know, because <laughs> right. I thought I was okay or I hoped I was okay. It's like, not that I'm not okay. It's just that, yeah, you know, I mean, if you, if you go to the, the bin of dirty water and drink it, you're going to get sick. And I go like, why don't you walk an extra mile and get it directly out of the river? It's like, oh my God, I got to walk a mile? Yeah. I'm just going to drink the sewer water. It's like, it's making you sick. I know, but whatever, I can deal with it. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I mean, in a way it's like, it's just a mile. I know, but that's like 20 minutes if I walk and it's cold outside. And then by the time I get home, the water's too cold. Just It's an interesting trade-off, right? (laughs) (laughs) The things that we don't want to do, but the things that we're willing to pay the price for. I know. Yeah. It's kind of disheartening sometimes, you know, when you're, I mean, I don't know. Let's stay on topic here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of topic. (laughs) Yeah, we're coming to the end here. Well, I think so. Uh, I have one more question for you and feel free to ask anything of me. Um, This question is what, what really brings you alive at the moment? What's inspiring to you or life-giving? Oh man, after my, after my diatribe about the, the most, the hardest phase in my life, what brings me alive? You know, I, I, I'm lucky that at least probably three or four times each week, uh, I mean, I'm teaching a Monday morning class at this place. It's a spiritual co-op in Mount Pleasant, which is uh, about a 25 minute drive from where I live. And it's, you know, it's considered part of Charleston, but uh, this place has been running running for a while. The woman who runs it, Tish, is basically a Christian mystic. She's She loves, she's really encouraging of me to do mm-hmm. these classes. So when I sit in the class and I get to speak of this stuff, I absolutely come alive. I'm so hopeful. I'm so full of spirit. I, I'm so engaged. 
when I do my Sunday services here in my home, I have a, a relatively large room for, as a chapel. So we have people who come, we meditate, we sing, I do a sermon. Um, I teach a Bible contemplation class from the mystical perspective on Wednesday nights. And finally, I mean, you know, I've been in Chicago, Charleston about 10 months, uh, and we're getting consistent attendance at these things. I mean, in the beginning, when you start a mystical community, it's, it takes a while before even one person will come. And then when you get one person coming, it's a little awkward. They're like, am I the only one here? It's like, yeah, but if you just stuck around, we'd help us get the second person. And so now these things, I mean, we had five people at the Bible contemplation last Wednesday. We had three people at Sunday service. Yesterday at Bliss, we had, I think, seven. These are good numbers. And to be able to sit in the room with people who are engaged in this stuff and be able to speak the truth that I know at whatever level I'm at, and interact. It's just so comforting to sit with people who resonate with this stuff. And what a privilege to be the teacher, you know, to sit there and be able to express what I have experienced and hopefully create some hope for others who, who may want that. That's what really brings life to me. Yeah, there's really nothing like being able to be fully expressed in yourself and to be received and gotten by those around you. And yeah swimming in the same pool that's so true i mean I, I do love teaching and i do love i love the gospel story i don't teach all the bible i teach the gospels primarily because i believe that jesus lived a life that demonstrates how do we get into the full realization of christ consciousness i believe that that's what his gospel is truly about this is how he says i am the truth the life and the way so he might as well have said i will help you and show you how to come into the full realization of your potential as a Christed being. It just, you know, you need some help. Most people need some help in being able to interpret the teachings mm -hmm. in the scripture. And so that's what my, my, one of my roles is to be a facilitator to help people get to unlock the mysteries that are in there. Mm. I like how that sounds. The mystery within us and... Yeah, I know. Yeah. That sounds cool, right? Sounds great. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I, I've been doing the Bible contemplation. I was a student in there, you know, probably for seven years. I've been teaching the class for another eight years. And it's always freaking fascinating. You know, I have some of these passages I've done a dozen times. And I'm like, oh my God, that's, that's a different angle. I never thought of it because, you know, they call the Gospels the living word. Mm. The, the, the teaching comes alive based on who's in the room or where people are at, the time of the year, et cetera, et cetera. There's no other book that I have found that has that kind of mystical quality. Mm. Yeah, I've heard the living word, but what you're saying gives gives mm. so much meaning to it. It's very alive. It's very evolving, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so cool because I'll sit there and meditate. I'll pick a passage beforehand. I'll go into meditation. And I'll, I feel the Christ in saying, well, let's do this passage tonight. So I go, okay, let me read it. Let me just get accustomed to where it's at. And part of me be like, there's always something. I go like, okay, what what does that mean today? And then when we get into the class, it's like someone will say something like, oh, that's cool. Well, can I say more about that? And it starts to take the conversation because the, the spirit of God is present trying to bring forth the teachings that each one of us needs that night. And so stuff comes up that's just like so freaking cool. You just go like, man, I love this. I really do. <laughs> I love that. I, um, you know, yeah. I've often started well, like yeah. women's circles doing that same sort of thing, not reading from the Bible, but, uh -huh. uh, or the gospels, but, um, with pieces of our own lives or other things that inspire us or some idea and concept. And 
I, I think it's so cool that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like, how come I didn't know this sooner? Like all this time I was teaching yoga oh, yeah. <laughs> right next to you while you were doing this. And this sounds pretty growthful and magical and real, powerful. Yeah, I, I think I've become very discreet about talking about uh, Christian things because, you know, I'll probably, and I'm sure with, with yourself, I may have like put out a question at some point about what's your sense of, you know, Christ or, or Christianity. And if it was like, if you had said something like, well, yeah, it's not really my path, but I respect it, which is probably something that I would have, might have heard from you. Mm-hmm. I probably just decided that it, it wasn't something I wanted to because people can become sensitive. It's like, are you trying to convert me? I really don't want right. that right now. And so, I, you know, this is a better form for me to become enthusiastic because I don't, there's no part of me that wonders if you think I'm trying to get you engaged in, you know, something that's not really mm-hmm. right for you. Right. Cleaner. So that's probably my reasoning behind that. But it's, yeah, it's, and it's just nice that you can hear it and receive it, even if, it's not necessarily the thing that you exactly want to do. I think you and I relate to the excitement and enthusiasm of truth. And just, I mean, when I hear the truth, like in the God, in these Bible classes, I just like, it's like a, a direct injection of pure love energy into my bloodstream. You can't help but getting yeah. high off that. Well, I think it's, uh, I can feel, and with the words you're saying as well, uh, where you are really interested in the work that you're doing and the teaching that you're doing and your own growth mm-hmm. and maybe some of the verses in gospel or bible don't re- really resonate with me but as i'm hearing you speak to them and then go to the aspect of uh what's underneath it or the mystery in it or something that feels very spiritual around it not as literal or concrete that that really resonates with me so um thank you for sharing all this today and uh sharing this with all of our listeners in such a candid way i've really learned a lot and enjoyed hearing your story oh cool well you're welcome candace it's it's been nice to be able to keep in touch with you over the years even if we're in different parts of the world and you know it seems instantaneous that we can just pick things up from where we left them off because there's no there's no imposition of agenda between you and I. And so that's, you know, a beautiful thing to, to know souls on the planet where if you don't see them for two years and then you, you know, you see them, you sit down and you have a coffee or, you know, whatever beverage you're, <laughs> you're just going to yeah. get right into it and just get, pick it up again and then walk away and go like, well, I'll see you when I see you. And I know you'll be out there and hopefully you're doing the good works, but yeah, if you slip and you want to reach out, call me, or if you have a triumphant moment and you want to send me a text, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Well, it helps what from one Aries to another. It helps that we're both Aries <laughs> for that kind of connection. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Probably right. Probably right. That's a good point. Well, you have a, a video online and, um, do we create reality? And just wanted to mention yeah. that to anyone listening who's interested in learning more. Um, and would you like to share your audience gift? I would. I mean, there's two things. The first thing, when you introduced me, you talked about coming to one of my visualization classes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've spent about 25 years working on these techniques just because I don't think you can ever quite have it locked down. So I made a video 
that's like, do we create reality? Because some of these visualization teachers will go like, you create your own reality. And there's a discrepancy. It's like, well, I create my own reality or do I create the reality? You know, like, well, I think that the video explains how you create the reality that you live, but you have to be respectful of the, you know, the global reality. You, you can't go in there and like one of the examples I used was just because you want it to be 85 degrees and warm and you're living in a place where currently it's 32 degrees, you're not going to be able to visualize that. Now, I also say you can try because maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but uh, I think, you know, let's not be ridiculous. Let's try to use visualization to augment the reality that we live in so that it, it really works for us. And so that's what mm -hmm. that video is, is teaching. Mm -hmm. As far as the gift, uh, I run a meditation center here in Charleston. And uh, I believe meditation is central to any kind of spiritual growth to be able to, you know, sort of dislodge momentarily from the physical material reality and go into the internal. And so I'm offering, if anybody's in the area, Charleston, um, you know, which people know that where that area extends to, then mm -hmm. they want to take my course. I'm offering a couple of new level one courses in January. Always good to learn something at the beginning of the year. And if they want to write to me by email, I'll give them half off the course. The course is typically $239 for eight sessions. And so whatever half of that is, I'm going to do the math about 120 minus 50 cents. I guess I just did the math. <laughs> <laughs> it's all ready for you. It's all right there. Yep. You know? And we'll put um, your information, your email in the show notes. So if anyone's listening and wants to get a hold of you, just uh, just yeah. connect in there. And where can people find you other than your email? Well, I have two websites. Um, I'm anticipating, you know, most people who, are, who may listen to this are probably not living in the immediate Charleston area. So uh, if you're interested in the things I spoke about as a priest, I have the mysticalchurchofchrist.org. So it's www.mysticalchurchofchrist.org. And if you're interested in meditation and some of the wisdom teachings that have resulted from meditation, I have my meditatecenter.com. So it's www.meditatecenter.com. Uh, and you still have your meditation course online, is that right? I do have the meditation course online. So if you go to the Meditate Center website, you'll see there's, you know, you've, mm -hmm. if you fish around, surf around on that site, you'll be able to find it. Um, and if people want to write to me, they can write to me, uh, Reverend Andrew, or sorry, it's Rev Andrew at mysticalchurchofchrist.org. Yeah, all of that will be available on the website. So you don't have to memorize it all. <laughs> well, thanks, Andrew. Is there any, any last words, any last living words? For the moment. Uh, yeah, my last living words is don't give up hope. I mean, the truth is there. The love is there. It's probably just not the way we think or wished it would look. So that part I get. But, uh, you know, there's that old adage, that old adage that like when you're ready, the teacher will appear. Yeah. I think if you're ready and you're searching, you know, you'll find someone who will help you. And uh, I am, I get, I get weird emails from, when I say weird emails, I mean, I get random emails from people in Africa and India. They found my website and they're like, how can you help me get to Christ? And, oh, wow. You know, it's, I'm always willing to, yeah, I know. It's, and some of these people like. That's amazing. People in Africa are so kind and gentle and simple in a way. I mean, not all of them. I don't know all of them, but you know, just like my heart goes out to that kind of just that raw tenderness of people. Just like, mm -hmm. I need help. Can you help me? I like that. Yeah. So. 
just don't give up. You know, it's sad to live in a life where there's no hope. I think hope, you know, is the, is the bringer of life. So that's my final last word. And just thank you so much. I mean, just being, having, having yourself to ask these incredible questions and to listen to, and let me speak about things that matter so much to me. I mean, it's, it's very moving and I'm, I'm deeply grateful. And I, you know, I hope we get to do this again sometime. Thank you. I deeply enjoyed it. And I'm very touched by the work you're doing and who you are. And uh, it's an honor to have you here today. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you. That's very kind. It was so great to have Andrew. I learned a lot about him. A lot of what we talked about today, as you can hear from my surprise at different times and my own discovery, all of that was new to me. And as I said, we talk on a very real level where we just converse about how we're doing on our journey and where we are in life and uh, some of the history of who he is and where he came from and what he's done hasn't always been in our conversation. So I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope also that that brings some level of unity to the conversation because a lot of what he's talking about, perhaps it has shifted some of your ideas about where the crossovers are of spirituality, God, consciousness, love, where we can really come together on those same ideas in a different language, from a different angle, and landing in the same place. If you found any of this conversation interesting, check out his sample video of Do We Create Reality, where he talks a little bit more about how do you create your reality? How do we respect the global reality and what's actually happening around us that is not in our control? And uh, what do we do within that space where we do have control? So check that video out. It's linked in the show notes at CandiceWu.com slash Andrew. And also his audience gift. If you're in the Charleston area or if you're passing through, anyone hearing the podcast can email Andrew and receive 50% off the level one meditation course. And all that information can also be found at the show notes as well. Well, we're coming down to the end. I am so glad that you joined us today. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate all of you out there, and I am just wishing you well on your seeking of love and truth as well as self. I hope this was insightful for you, and I look forward to seeing you next week on the Embody Podcast. <music>